welcome to the 468th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome my stepmother, Harriet Knowles, and my mother-in-law, Susan Merling, to talk about their lives during the pandemic. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID Calls live on Twitter and on the COVID Calls YouTube channel. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. And as always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of March 13th, 2022, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center, 6,042,278 people around the world have died of COVID-19. In the United States, 967,552 people have lost their lives to the disease. I've been reading an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic. I'd like to continue that reading now. This is the obituary of Natalia A. Feldman. Natalia A. Feldman of Brighton, Massachusetts passed away on June 15, 2020 at St. Elizabeth's Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Natalia was born in Latvia to Andres Galins and Herta Sindel Galina 91 years ago. In 1955, she married her husband, Josef Feldman, who preceded her in passing in 1984. She was also preceded in death by her parents and brother. Natalia had an extraordinary life at the age of 16 in the German-occupied Lipia. She was arrested by Nazis for just not carrying the required documents and was incredibly lucky to escape from the prison when it was destroyed by Soviet bombs. At the age of 21, she was arrested by the KGB simply for being honest and refusing to follow their orders. She was sentenced to 13 years of hard labor in a gulag and served five of those. She was dying of hunger and overwhelming work when Josef Feldman, also a gulag prisoner, saw her, fell in love at first sight, and managed to save her. They both were freed only thanks to Stalin's timely death, but still had to live in exile for four years after the camp. They got married and set up their first home in a tiny room converted from a stable. In her 60s, already widowed, Natalia followed her children to help them survive two immigrations. And in her 80s, she volunteered as a foster grandmother in a synagogue kindergarten, the Shello House in Brighton. Her luminous and loving presence will be deeply missed by her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchild. With all sadness that Natalia had to experience in her life, she was a very wise and happy soul, ever curious, sharp, lively, and kind. And that is how she will be remembered by all who knew her. Private graveside service was held June 19th, 2020. And the family asked at that time that in lieu of flowers, people consider making a donation to the Wounded Warrior Project as Natalia had been doing for many years. The obituary of Natalia A. Feldman, who died June 15th, 2020. And we're lucky also to have testimonial from Natalia's granddaughter, Jenny, who's the daughter of Veronica and the mother of Harry. And I'm gonna share with you what she wrote. 
about her grandmother. Early on June 15th, my Oma passed away from acute respiratory distress due to COVID-19. She was 92 and she fought for a month. She died peacefully. It's hard to describe such an enormous loss. She was and is a luminous soul, despite the dark things she had seen in her long life. An incredible survivor and a fighter. At age 21, she was arrested in Latvia, where she was born and brought to a Siberian labor camp. She met my grandfather there, and they wrote letters to each other in German, their one common language. When they were both released in the mid-1950s, they hitched a ride with a farm truck to the nearest city hall, got stuck in the rain, and after pushing the truck out of the mud, managed to get a marriage license. They raised two little children in a converted stable with very little resources, social, material, or political. They were survivors. She was a survivor. I grew up knowing this about her, though she rarely spoke about these years, which must have been terribly full of fear and uncertainty. The life of Natalia A. Feldman. Okay, I'd like to turn to the conversation for today. This is one I've really, really been looking forward to a great deal. Let me introduce my guests to you. Harriet Knowles is a native Texan, having been born and raised in West Texas in the town of Midland. She had a unique experience in her high school years and that her father was her school principal. Harriet attended Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, and continued her education at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Dallas, where she obtained a physical therapy degree. She also earned a master's in behavior science from University of Texas Permian. She worked as a pediatric physical therapist in Midland. Harriet was in the workforce in physical therapy, pediatric-related jobs, and worked for the Austin Independent School District as a physical therapist for her last 19 years before retirement. She lived in Georgetown, Texas, in the Sun City community. Her husband, Steve, and enjoys her time loving on her grandchildren, of which she has seven, traveling and reading. She's also taking care of her mother, who lives with them there. My second guest is Susan Merling. Susan is a retired technology educator. She graduated from Tufts University as an English major and also attended graduate school at Manhattanville College, where she studied educational psychology and Teachers College of Columbia University, where she studied communications, computing, and technology. She was a teacher in Ovid, New York, Scarsdale, and Houston in the Spring Branch District. And after technology moved into education, she taught the basics of computer literacy and emerging technologies to kids in elementary and middle school. She supported teachers and administrators in integrating technology into their lives and careers. After retirement, she babysat for her first grandchild, who also happens to be my son, then helped a Section 8 housing unit set up and use their computer room. She also volunteered at a senior day center in Boston before the pandemic. Since 2013, she's been a volunteer on the board and executive committee of a Cambridge nonprofit choral organization. She's the proud parent of two successful professional women and a grateful grandparent of four amazing grandchildren, ages eight to 13. Susan Merling and Harriet Knowles, thank you so much for joining me on COVID Calls today. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Let me start the way I generally do, find out where you're calling from and how the pandemic situation is looking there. Harriet, let me start with you on that. Okay. Uh, Georgetown, Texas, we are in a stage two. Um, things are things are doing really well right now. So getting out yeah. and about better. What does that look like in daily life there, Harriet? When, when you go to the to the um 
to the drugstore or you go out shopping to a restaurant, people are wearing masks. Is it mixed picture? Nobody's wearing it, masks? It's still mixed. I actually went to our neighborhood um, drugstore and for the first time in two years, I didn't put my mask on. It was, it's not very crowded at all. And the, the people that were in the checkout, they, they had their mask on, but, um, and I felt okay. You know, I just, we're, we're doing well here. I went back to church for the first time um, in two years. Wow. Last on um, Ash Wednesday and um, didn't mass there. I've had a few gatherings with people in homes. Um, it's, what a change. It's a big change. What a change. Susan, same question to you. Uh, yes, I am in um, Massachusetts. I'm uh, at this moment, I'm in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which is just up the coast a bit from Boston. And um, Massachusetts um, has gone um, mask free. The mask mandate ended in the state um, uh, within the last few weeks. Um, the mayor of Boston, who's um, uh, a new mayor, uh, decided to extend the mask mandate in the city. Um, and now it will officially end on April 1st. Um, although we have, um, we have uh, mask mandates in public transportation. When you take the subway or the bus, um, masks are required. Um, and uh, shop owner owners and restaurant owners have the option to um, uh, ask that you wear a mask. And um, uh, we have, my husband and I have um, uh, kept on, uh, kept our masks on um, most of the time now. And we have um, a daughter um, hanging out with us for a while and she um, has a public health background. So um, we have, um, followed some advice she's given us. But during the pandemic, we just, you know, wore masks and socially distanced the whole time. So um, what I think happens now is um, uh, is looking at the statistics. I just printed out our statistics. Um, and um, the vaccination rates are, um, you know, are pretty good in um, Essex County, where I am now. Um, uh, the vaccination rate for all ages is 75% and for 65 and up, which includes me, um, it's 92%. Um, and it's almost similar for the state of Massachusetts and um, similar for uh, Boston. Uh, I don't understand why they, they, um, they give case numbers because uh, I, I think, I don't know about where, where you two are, but um, if you test and you test positive um, and you feel kind of okay, you don't have to report it. So uh, reported cases and reported, uh, reported deaths probably count, but reported cases uh, seem somewhat meaningless. It's really amazing to hear that the mask mandate is coming down in Boston in April. I mean, it really, you know, other than I think probably Hawaii, I think Massachusetts has had some of the most restrictive um, or we could frame it differently, say most you know, progressive life-saving policies around 
around masks um, and around gatherings. So it's it really is quite something. You know, I've talked to a lot of guests recently about this moment in time as one in the United States where there's a bit of a people want to, of course, rejoin society and the things they were doing in February of 2020. But after Delta and Omicron, there is a hesitation there. There's a sort of a feeling like we've seen this exuberance before and a little concerned about getting back to it. I don't I don't know if that registers in any of your conversations with people, Susan, that that hesitation. Oh, I think so. I mean, we have people I mean, I have a friend who says I'm going to be the last one to take my mask off. And, you know, that's I, I think, you know, um, I could be right <laughs> along there with her. I mean, it, I know I never felt that masks was were such a terrible bother or um, an impingement on my freedoms. Um, but it just seemed it seemed logical and there's still things we don't know. And now the what was it? The B12 um, is uh, is around um, in Massachusetts. B12, B two um the later variant the next variant yeah uh-huh so um yeah uh i think you know we'll see what happens i mean they um they started loosening everything up though in i don't know about you know where you are harriet but right after um christmas break they cut the mask mandate for schools which sounded kind of strange to me but you know, we'll see. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, Harriet, let me just bring you back in. And actually, I'm just going to take this moment here to remind folks that you're um, listening to COVID Call. And I'm talking to Susan Merling today, who's my mother-in-law, and Harriet Knowles, who's my stepmother. Although I don't really like that term, she's my mother. Um, let me. I just want to um, thank you both here. And just take a moment because we were chatting a bit beforehand. Um, you've both been most consistent in reaching out to me and and giving me some positive feedback on COVID calls, and it really it means a lot. Uh, you know, this project has been one that family and friends have um, sacrificed a lot to help me do this, and it's just just want to take a second to express my gratitude to both of you, my love for actually not just saying, hey, good job, but like really listening. And like, like I can tell people who listen like the first five minutes. And then I know the people who like listen to the whole episode, because you often point out things that are like, that's like in the 45th minute of the episode. Like I she really, they really listen to that. So thanks a lot. We're retired. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and we are your, your uh, big fans. Perfect audience. Um, for many years. I've been, um, as you both know, I've, I asked guests to share a personal memory at this time, the impossible question, but I wanted to ask both of you as well. Harriet, is there a memory of this time that really stands for you and what uh, COVID has meant? Yeah, I, I love the question because it helped me go back in time. And um, as you know, because you came and visited, my dad died um, during COVID. It was March 28th of 2020. And uh, we were some of the first people that had to have those funerals with only, um, I don't know if it was 10 or 12 people that were allowed to be there, including the minister and whoever sang. So we had to do that. My dad had had a stroke um, 
and had been at home with my mom and 24-7 caregivers there at the house. And then he had actually had esophageal cancer, and um, that's what he died from. So we were right at the beginning of COVID. He had caregivers that were coming in. They were, you know, spraying Lysol down, wiping everything down if they'd gone out to the grocery store. Hospice workers were all of a sudden putting on masks and gloves when they came in. Uh, less people were coming. Ministers were not coming into the home. Just just a lot of things were happening. And thank goodness he did not um, last much longer. And But the funeral was really unexpected. I mean, we, we didn't even know that this was going to be how it was going to be until we got there and you know, had to have it outside in a pavilion. My dad has um, five living brothers and sisters. They were able to be there. My husband, myself, my brother, his wife, my mother, and that was it. But of course, there were cars all around and they had come. And then a few days later, the biggest memory, it was packing up my mother and going, you can't stay here. You know, you'll you'll have to come home with us and live with us. Uh, There's no way that we're going to get caregivers for you to do this. So that was very, very stressful. And uh, it was very stressful on her. And just the whole trip is a huge memory for me, Scott, because things were closed down. I think that was the week that everything was, I, I mean, we weren't even supposed to be traveling and we had to. But places were closed. We had a hard time finding any place and open to get a takeout lunch, uh, going to the restroom. I mean, I didn't know what to do. So I was I was covering my mouth. Masks weren't there. I was covering my mouth with a Kleenex. I was putting on gloves. Yeah. I was scared to death to get out of the car to go to the, and the restroom. I was just freaked out when I went to the restroom. You know, because it was dirty anyway, you know, and that's where COVID must be. So I I can remember that. It was a long six, seven hour drive and lots of, and it was cold and it was uncomfortable. So that's, that's my memory. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, it was a hard time. And, and there's something about, um, you know, the way you describe that too, that, because Garland was a popular guy, mm-hmm. big family, a lot of friends, and that and that funeral, which I tried to watch remotely, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it was it would have been hard under the best of circumstances, but it's just hard because you know the sense of like there should be a big group of people there, like telling stories about Garland. But you pointed out that there were people in the cars. I mean, that's the sort of modification people did make very quickly. They're like, we're going to be there, but we might have to be alone in our, right. in our cars. Right. And waved, you know. Yeah. But you made it. I mean, you, you, you brought your mother back to, back to Georgetown. Yeah. Susan, let me ask you the uh, same question. Uh, memory that stands in for this time. Thank you, Harriet. Yes, um, I have um, I have several. One is that at the very beginning of the pa- pandemic or just before the pandemic, um, I um, have a family member who um, lived in Houston at the time, now lives in Kerrville, 
but she got seriously ill and I was ready to fly there. She was ill the end of, um, of February and I was going to go and help her get into um, the uh, facilities that she needed. And then the pandemic was uh, on upon us or was coming. And um, uh, there was a big conference at a hotel um, near uh, near us in Boston. And um, so, and it was already in the, the neighborhood school around the corner. Um, so uh, I called my doctor's office um, the about the 25th of February and said, you know, I hear there's this virus, but I, I really need to fly to Texas. Uh, and um, I left the message and then um, my my doctor's um, nurse or assistant called me back and said, oh, Susan, you can definitely go. Um, it's going to be okay. And you're going to be in airports and airports, and this was a direct quote, are um, are very safe places. <laughs> so um, I made a tentative reservation to leave on March fourth. Well, by March fourth, uh, you know that wasn't it wasn't happening. Um, and uh, uh, this person has great friends and um, and colleagues who uh, who helped her through it. But I, you know, I, I had planned to be there. And the second one is of Natasha um, Natalia, who from from the obituary that you read. Um, she and I um, were friends for. Um, close to 10 years. And I remember that the last time I met up with her was Monday, March 9th. And um, I think it was March 9th. Um, and um, she did, if you got that from the obituary, she was a, a feisty spirited woman who had been through a whole lot, but always had an amazingly wonderful outlook on uh, on things. And she, um, she kept up with the news and she said to me, um, Oh, you know what the what the the young people are doing? Because in my building there are some twenty something um, girls who came from Asia, and they do this little foot tap thing. Do you remember the foot tap <laughs> at the beginning that. of the? Yeah. That was a greeting at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. So um, we laughed about that, and I think when I left her, um, she was in a in a, a senior adult day center. Um, and I think when I left, we had a bit of a hug, but, um, you know, and as it turned out, um, she, uh, had a, a minor fall really, um, outside her apartment building every, um, where she, she went out for a walk every day, walked around the, um, the lake near her apartment complex and she fell down and she, you know, did fall occasionally. Um, and she had a walker, but of course, you know, people came running because they saw this older woman lying on the ground and picked her up and they rushed her off to the hospital. And then the hospital said, oh, well, you fell because you have, you know, some heart issues. Well, she knew she had a heart issues. Um, but then somebody there said, oh, you need a pacemaker right away. They did the pacemaker surgery. And um, this was uh, in May. And um, she and her daughter and son-in-law 
all got COVID from that hospital visit. So that was, you know, that was a, you know, that was really um, bittersweet. And um, and then the other thing I remember is uh, there's a, a group of shanty singers here in Gloucester, and um, uh, one day, sort of spontaneously, there was an email that went around, and everybody met down on the beach and sang together, mm-hmm. distanced. Uh, and uh, I don't even know. I guess there were masks then in April or or so. But anyway, um, and that was a fun memory. For people who may not know, the Gloucester, Massachusetts sea shanty singing scene is real, uh, and so that's actually that was that was quite a a, a gathering. I, I I wish I could have been there for that. That's pretty amazing that you did that. Thanks for sharing about Natalia too, and and sharing the obituary. She had a cinematic life just amazing and you would never have known I mean she sat me down and told me about the second time we had met because I was there at the senior center doing um, English conversation for Russians in their 80s and 90s who wanted to improve their English Um, and uh, but she she told me her life story but you, you know she was just such a positive person very wise very funny um and um, we had a great time together. So just a quick reminder, you're listening to COVID Calls. I'm talking to Susan Merling and Harriet Knowles today. I want to know how you had to modify your lives, particularly early in the pandemic. We've been talking about this, Harriet, you were talking about, you had to go through this modification in the middle of this huge life change moment. Mm-hmm. What did you have to do to keep yourself and the household safe early on? And how did it sort of like change your life or restructure your life? I'm thinking early in the pandemic. What was the lockdown like, for example? Um, well, we stayed home. You know, I I, I cooked a lot more dinners. <laughs> you know, just because uh, I was always going out and, and being with people and, or, you know, at least having a lunch and things like that. So, no, we, we took it very seriously. Um, our, our age. Um, my mother's age and health health problems, so we we took it very seriously and just stayed put. We didn't see anybody else. You know, we had three in the house, so we had company. At least I wasn't by myself like a lot of my friends were. Um, you know, we <laughs> we went. We had a little center, you know, with the the wipes and the you know everything you can imagine was right there in front of us. We cleaned, we kept things clean anytime we did go out, which was not very often at all. So yeah, I think that's what we did. We just, we listened. I I listened to a lot of your calls. I talked to my cousin who's in public health. Uh, She works at a clinic in in Waco. I would call her because she kind of knew what was going on through the hospital and the clinics that she was part of and the doctors and just listened to her and got a lot of my information from her and just kind of did what she said, which was 
you know, don't be afraid, but respect the virus. It's a virus and it needs a host. So how did you manage doctor visits for your mom during that time? That's something people really struggled with. Well, we did a lot of, finally, we did a lot of telecommunication, which was wonderfully helpful. But my mother was in really bad shape after taking care of my dad for so long. I I really didn't know what was going to happen with her. And so we did do a lot of, you know, we did some minor emergency clinics and and we did go to the doctor and I hated it. Um, But we would just mask up and have to go which got easier, but um, we had to take care of her health too. Susan, I have a little bit of an insight of how you manage things because you turned your home, you and John turned your home into a life raft um, for my family during the summer of 2020. So I remember your mask station right by the door and like Harriet described the sort of, I guess every household now has its like cleaning supply area. Um, but Hand sanitizer. Yeah, we didn't make it there till that summer. What was the lockdown phase like for you? Um, Well, we did also take it very seriously. Um, We got our, one of your questions was, um, how did we get our information? Um, uh, Not from Facebook, never from Facebook. (laughs) But um, uh, we used um, the New York Times coronavirus uh, tracker, and we used the CDC website, and we used um, some of the the people who um, we uh, learned about from you or, or through COVID calls. We um, followed and still follow, I still follow Dr. Peter Hotez um, um, a lot, and the, um, and the CDC, and when the advice changed and people threw up their hands and said, well, they don't know what to tell us. Um, uh, we just stuck with the scientists. Um, we did not swallow bleach or that stuff that people give to their pets for worms. Um, Good. <laughs> our vermectin. We, um, we weren't into that. Um, but we, um, so we, you know, we took it seriously. Um, uh, John went, um, it turned out I am married to someone who loves to go out briefly every day to the supermarket. And I, I noticed that before the pandemic, he was like, he'd always go out and do food shopping almost every day. So he started going out at, um, uh, for the six o'clock opening of a, um, of a supermarket near us. And he was back before seven, um, uh, we had um, in we kind of stayed in Gloucester for most of the time, although we went back to Boston briefly to check the mail and make sure the condo was still there. But um, we had um, a very, um, you know, uh, very good. We had, you know, love. We do do have lovely neighbors here in Gloucester, and so um, we. Um, did things like somebody had a um, a driveway concert uh, several times actually. Um, they had a they have a, a deck out over the house and a big green lawn. And initially, for the first one, everybody just sat, brought their own chairs and sat in their driveway. Um, and that was like May of of uh, 2020. And of course, it was 
rainy or whatever and cold, but <laughs> but we did it anyway. Um, somebody else has a fire pit. So we sat spread out around that um, uh, the weekend after election day. Um, and we did, um, you know, we, we, we also, you know, got very into Zooming. And a lot of people say, oh, I hate Zoom, I hate Zoom, I hate Zoom. But we really thought um, it, mm. it became very useful for us. Um, we both sing in, um, in choral groups and those met on Zoom um, with, you know, various levels of success. And I have a great conductor who found all sorts of technologies that, um, that she could implement um, for us. So there were 130 people in the, the group initially. Um, and now we're down to about um, 90 to 100 who have stuck with it, um, some on Zoom, some in person. Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely tried to keep, um, tried to keep uh, you know, our, our own interests um, going, and, um, and we definitely, um, oh, we had one neighbor who, <laughs> we had a neighborhood email network on, um, you know, hmm. where to find toilet paper. Now it's, most recently <laughs> it was where to find, to find um, uh, COVID tests. Um, but sure. I remember we had a, a neighbor down the street um, uh, who um, said that they were running low on toilet paper. So the next morning when John was going out at six o'clock, I said, stop um, at these people's house and get an extra package of toilet paper because we were low at that point too and um and leave it for them so john went and rang their doorbell and left it on their back stoop at, at, at like 6 20 in the morning and then a week later i said has anybody seen any basil and those same neighbors in fact show up showed up at our front stoop with two basil plants <laughs> uh, i'm really impressed that you managed to keep the choral group going and i've talked with performers on COVID calls about you know i mean like the most dangerous thing you could do at that time, get together with a group of people and sing, but you need to have that proximity to get the timing right and to do it right. And you manage somehow to, to keep that going. I think it's really, really yeah, impressive. We, at one point we put, we, um, uh, she had a, a piece of software where everybody recorded themselves. I mean, you learned the music in our sessions, um, in our zoom sessions. Um, and from, um, audio files and then um we each recorded our own part alone which was you know a little scary mm. um uh and then um she put them all together to make a, a choral sound we did not do um the uh, virtual choir because that was that was really too expensive and too extensive with um with the technology we had, but yeah, we, um, you know, we, we did it. And, um, you know, some people weren't interested in some, um, uh, and some just kind of dropped up, but most people, uh, you know, a good number of people stuck around. So, um, we did that and that, you know, that kept us, um, that kept us going too. um, you know, things to do. Um, uh, I love to take, we, we, we've taken a lot of online courses and, um, and things like that. And then, um, that summer visit um, was just um, was just wonderful. This house, you know, was filled with cardboard tubes because one of your children was into making things from, you know, paper towel tubes and um, and you know, but you know, it's, it was easy to provide 
those supplies, big, huge pieces of paper and yeah. um, and paints and crayons and, and scissors. So um, that was that was really lovely for us. That was Mercer's paper weapons phase. It uh, was. And he, that, he's, yeah. he's returned to that recently, by the way. Yes. Um, and, yes. Yeah. To to um, uh, and to illustrate um, what good cleaners we are not. Um, <laughs> I um, reached under this couch that I'm sitting on um, for something about six months ago. Um, something had rolled under the couch and um, I reached under with a broom and out came a big, long paper weapon. <laughs> well, that's where that was. Yeah, <laughs> you would never have missed that's it. That's funny. Harriet, let me, um, I want to kind of talk with you about the same thing, like how you kept your your sociability going, particularly I was some, Sun City is a place where it's, I mean, it's, it is a community by definition. Um, mm -hmm. So how did you, you know, Susan was talking about the, the email chain, where to find what and, and people leave it at your front door. Do you have something similar to that at Sun City? How did you all stay connected? Oh, yeah, we, we've got all that. Uh, there's a Sun City Facebook page and, you know, that we were very good about telling each other uh, the, how to find uh, vaccinations. You know, that was huge, trying to figure that all out. And, um, you know, that was not an easy time and we were nervous and we were looking and and neighbors helped each other and I found some and, and uh, lots of my neighbors got hooked up with that but we we did that and i i found a lot of online things too like susan did and i took a, a soul collage canyon the facilitator for that what what um, is that that is um it kind of combined my interest in spirituality and psychology and the fine arts and it's it's a creative art um you make collages and I think I've sent you some of those collages yeah. and it was just very good to get in touch with inner things that were going on in your life and you do it through art. A lot of art therapists take these classes and courses and become facilitators and a lot of psychologists do also. And so I found one that was online and I thought I'm going to do this. And um, now I have a community of people all over the world um, we meet. I've met with those people once a week for almost a year now. So um, I, I love Zoom too, Susan. I think it's just a wonderful opportunity. I I got a spiritual director that lives in Philadelphia and talked to her once a week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just opened up my world. I'm, um, you know, Sun City is very social, but a lot of the things you can't do. And a lot of the things being an introvert, I never really liked doing anyway. I didn't go to dances and things like that. But um, but it, it's we've stayed busy, watched way too much TV. Um, and, we, you know, we laughed about, you know, getting to the end of Netflix. Well, I feel like we just about did. But, <laughs> but but a lot of learning was going on, a lot of good things, and a lot of closeness to relatives and to babies. And, and yeah, and I want to ask about that in a second. But you, um, you did. You were kind enough to share um, some of that collage work you did. I want to just ask you about that a little more. Did you find? Did you were you able to process some of the anxiety of the pandemic Absolutely. through that? Absolutely, it was just a real lifeline to me 
doing that. Um, it's a creative process and you, you go through magazines and you look at images that just kind of speak to you and you don't know why you're not intentionally looking at them. Um, and then you get an eight by 10, uh, eight by five card and you just start putting things on. And then there's a process of it where you read the card and it is like, I am one who, you know, kind of a gestalt type therapy. And it was just amazing. I made so many cards. And one of the things during this time, you really come to terms with death, uh, your own death, friends' deaths, my father's death. I was going through a grieving process. Um, all those things come out through the arts and the artwork. And uh, it was a great processing. And and then listening to other people on Zoom and um you know, share their cards and their readings and things like that. So it was, it was a good process. Let me stay with you for a second, Harriet, because um, so Central Texas, and anybody who listens to COVID calls knows um, I talk about Texas a lot. And um, most of my uh, family, not all, I do have family in Massachusetts and North Carolina and California, but the center of gravity of my family, uh, aside from my nuclear family, is in Texas in a few counties in central Texas. Uh, so whenever I think of of you all, I think of your backyard, honestly. I think of your your kitchen table. I think of, you know, obviously the places where I went to college and and that those memories, but also just the the tight network of family that's there. Mm -hmm. And so with a call or a text message, you could assemble people. I mean, it's just sort of like, I guess your prerogative as mom and grandmother too. It's like, we're assembling and, and people come uh, and for meals and birthday parties and everything else. And you're a genius at that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, we can't do that now. I, and so I'm curious how you how you cope with that. And we were talking earlier in the pandemic, but that's quite something, you know, to have this tight network of family that you're used to being in each other's presence mm -hmm. and then to have to cope with um, this pandemic. Yeah. Well, you know, we continue to listen to what they said. We, um, we had some members that never got out of their house either. Their children were in the house with them and we did, form a little bubble. So there were people that we got to see. And then of course, later on, there was testing. So we would get tested um, before we'd see each other or we'd, you know, make sure we didn't see anybody for 14 days before we saw each other. So we did have some gatherings, you know, it wasn't like nothing ever happened or we never saw those people. And babies were born during that time, you know, and I, I went down and, and stayed with the mothers and uh, so. And you had to develop a kind of a protocol on, on kind of building a pod, like a family pod, right? I've talked to other people about this, about this too. And, and like, how do you, how did you prepare for that? Is some period of isolation before you all get together or, you know, every family seemed to have done something a little different around this. Yeah, we did. We, but like I said, we just kind of see what was going on and what the CDC was saying. And we, yeah, pretty much tried to follow it. And we just, we didn't get together with the people that were having back, going back to work and had to be with a lot of people. But we have two teachers in the family. They were doing it all remotely. So they were home. They, you know, so. It was. 
Susan, let me ask you the same question. You were talking about it a moment ago about finding the paper weapons under your couch. So, so we did a bit of that too, like finding a way to to retrieve some sort of family sociability. And you know, just like I was talking about with Harriet, I mean, your house also it's a it was a life raft for us. It's you've got a beach close by. It's gorgeous, um, but you know, it's still had to find ways to stay connected with family. How did you approach that? Well, um, I think Zoom and FaceTime um, have been great for us. Um, and we, um, uh, with um, my cousin and with friends, we also um, have been having um, either a Zoom coffee chat or a Zoom cocktail parties, uh, which is which is great fun. We just, you know, get in touch with someone who's someplace else in the, in the world. Um, and so, um, you know, like instead of emailing people, you know, we would, we would call them up and say, um, you know, I'm going to send you a zoom link. And, um, uh, and that was really, um, that was really fun for family and, um, and friends um, and we, you know, we, you always learn something new with every new event. I found with um, all four grandchildren, the boys and the girls, um, you do much better having a Zoom or a, or a FaceTime chat one-on-one. If it's both boys or both girls there, you know, someone always feels cheated or someone gets bored and leaves. <laughs> So, you know, it's better if, um, you know, if you have a, um, a a chat, even if it's my husband and, and me and one of the boys or one of the girls, and then mm-hmm. we do it a different time. And then they can call, you know, when um, the girls especially can call um, whenever they want and their mother um, lets them use their uh, her phone. But I think that that made a, um, uh, you know, that helped because, you know, we also, I mean, Harriet and I have both worked in education, so it's no news to, to say, you don't, you know, say, hello, what's going on? You know, tell me, you know, how is school? How, you know, <laughs> I mean, if you can find something, um, something to talk about that they want to talk about. Um, and some of them, the, the kids, our grandchildren are um, general, are, are between eight and, and 13. So um, a couple of them, the older two especially, um, will initiate something and um, uh, your older child and the older child in North Carolina will say, so how are you two doing? So what are you doing? And um, which is really quite charming and gives you the idea that they're growing up. But also those two, one is a teenager and um, one in North Carolina is a very close to teenage. And um, so, you know, they, they're really growing up. I mean, it, it happens with any age, but, you know, I feel like, oh my gosh. And one of them talks about being in, in puberty. Thank you very much. We're getting close to puberty. And, um, uh, and so, you know, we talk about books um, and um, what they want for Christmas. <laughs> Cause I, you know, so um, yeah. So we, we really, um, you know, we have to make the, uh, you know, it, it, it takes an effort sometimes. Back in the beginning, we also did um, like uh, 
Uh, we did chess.com. I mean, I couldn't mm-hmm. keep up with your older child, but but um, John sometimes could. And um, uh, and then your younger child uh, learned to beat me too. So, um, but we also did uh, we didn't we did one of those art classes like how to draw how to draw a grasshopper, yeah. and we both did it. And um, and um, that was one of your children. And um, I'm a terrible artist, and I you know it's just not my thing. My sister has all the art talent in our family, but um, but your little guy was just so encouraging. Oh no, Graham, that's great. Oh no, it looks really good. <laughs> yeah, so. he does the same for me, and I'm a, I'm a terrible artist, and he makes me feel like I can do something. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I'm really glad you're sharing these these memories because um, in pandemic years, it's been like 20 years since then. And I had forgotten, I guess, temporarily all of those art classes that went online and every game that I guess was already online, but we hadn't thought to look for it, um, was there. And there was that, um, that, um, with Netflix that you could watch movies simultaneously or watch TV shows mm-hmm. simultaneously with people. I did that. We did that once Harriet with, mm-hmm. uh, some of my brothers and sisters and, and dad may have been on that. Um, so we found a way to continue to have some some sociability and, and not just like intense sociability, like Christmas, but like just the, the less intense sociability, like, you know, like, let's just have a chat, mm-hmm. which we were not so used to doing, I don't think, uh, on a regular basis with Zoom, but, you know, Susan, you're describing it. Um, and I remember it that way too. Like, it's just another skill that we picked up if you want to stay connected with people. Mm-hmm. Let me just take a second to remind folks you're listening to COVID calls. I'm talking to Susan Merling and Harriet Knowles today. I wanted to get to, um, if we have time, get another couple of topics. Um, Susan, you and I over the years have continually talked about politics. It's not unknown for us to um, quote some uh, Rachel Maddow to back and forth to each other once in a while. Um, and um, I, I didn't really want to talk about Donald Trump, but I, what I did want to ask you about is just sort of like your sense of this time in American life and how you think maybe it's changed America or, or not? Do you think this is a moment in time that's just so much stress and just a bad convergence of political things and we'll move through it? I, I appreciate your perspective on this. Um, sure. Um, I'm, I'm glad you asked uh, the question. We um, Things have changed in the United States. Um, and I, I think this leaning toward fierce individualism, meism, um, sort of anarchy, um, and we have, you know, we've had, you know, huge um, anti-vax um, organization here too, and people um, wanting their own individual freedom rather than doing um, things for the public good. So I think that that was maybe um, not so helpful, but I, I can't, I can't just blame that on, on the pandemic. Um, there were the politics involved. Um, I noticed quite early on, I mean, I know when you're 74, you should think of yourself as old, but um, suddenly I was lumped in a category of people over 65 who were considered elderly. And then I started noticing this ageism in, you know, in TV ads. Um, and, and that, you know, there was like, you know, there was always like the, 
the stupid grandparent who who lost his his clothing out of the dryer or something and um uh and um and I thought huh you know I'm really considered elderly now <laughs> and that's like you know people say yes of course <laughs> but um um I I think the whole um uh individual freedoms uh organizations um which is basically, I can do whatever I want. And I always thought of that as coming from these communities someplace out in the, in the mountains where people, you know, don't follow, don't need to follow the rules because they are, um, uh, they're free and they do what they want to do and they don't care about the government or, or anybody, anybody's rules. Um, of course, they still take advantage of, I'm sure, of of hospitals and roadways and electricity and water systems and so on. So um, I think, I think it, um, the impact um, can be um, considered possibly, you know, negative in some ways, but there are, um, uh, and we certainly had in Massachusetts, we had a, the Holyoke soldiers home that um, had 76 residents die. Um, and that was had to do with mismanagement. But now, even in some facilities, people um, who work there don't want to wear masks. And, um, and so there, there are still some, some dangers. I know of people who have had um, serious surgeries postponed. I mean, everybody canceled. I mean, we canceled all sorts of doctor's appointments that we didn't think were necessary. But um, but I, I know um, several people who had surgeries, important surgeries, um, that had to be postponed because hospitals were um, not uh, staffed enough and they didn't have, they didn't have enough beds. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there in some places there is you know a sense more bigger sense of community now i feel like i'm much more involved with the community in our neighborhood we have book clubs and we have these you know email chains um and i also think that um uh one of the things that um have that maybe was not caused by the pandemic but the whole black lives matter um issue really just came up, came up um, during the pandemic. And I know, you know, that was political and it, you know, I'm trying to relate in my head how, um, how it connects with the, with COVID. But um, I think that that's been great for us to, you know, kind of be aware suddenly, um, you know, those of us who've grown up um, in, uh, you know, with all of these, you know, critical uh, cultural issues, um, and we just lived with them. And then suddenly, we, you know, things were turned around. And I, I read, a, you know, um, a number of, of books um, uh, that were related to, um, to the cultural history. So I think, but that's, that was a really good thing that came out of, out of yeah. that time period. I agree, and there's so much, you know, so much good has come out, and that is one of the biggest. And just, I think it's unearthed 
so much that has been going on and now we've had some time to reflect on it and and the anger around things and and yeah i'd be angry too if i was on the front lines and being ignored and um i i'm glad people are getting paid more now you know i just and and we look at what's going on in the world now with um right. Ukraine and just, you know, it could happen. It happens <laughs> when, when things get so out of control. And, and uh, so I, I think this is like everything. It's, it's a good time to, to see what good has come out of it also. Harriet, let me just, uh, since you both were connecting there for a second about the Black Lives Matter movement, which um, is, I think the way you said it, Susan, is, is important. It's, um, it's hard to know exactly the causality of how that's connected with, I mean, obviously there's the, the murders that happened, but, but the violence that kicked it off, but there's something also about this pandemic time. It's, it exists, they exist together, mm -hmm. I think, in an important way. Um, and, you know, Harriet, you're a person who, um, I think you've often, you know, through your, through your church communities, you've been involved at, at real serious attempts at racial understanding, cross-racial understanding, and reckoning and redemption. Yeah, we, I, yeah, we we tried to plant a church and have it interracial, and and it it thrived for a while. And uh, over in East Austin, and you know, we've done a lot, and I've gone to workshops and retreats, and um, way before the pandemic. So it it's been brewing for a long time. Um, well, what I wanted to ask you, and I have been asking people this recently, is about sort of going forward in America and and how, what do we need to give to each other? How, What kind of structures do we need? What venues do we need to try to not just get past the pandemic, but there's the social part of the fracturing that was revealed by the pandemic that I just really feel like, and I'm in the editorial box here, but hopefully you're comfortable with it. I, we need ways to come back together in the United States. We need ways to find redemption. We have to learn to listen to each other. Um, I, and you've been active in that kind of work for a long time. I mean, what what do you think we need to do coming out of this pandemic to, to find each other again and have a country that can actually function? Not that we all have to agree on everything, but not to be yelling and screaming at each other all the time. Right. Well, in the work that I'm doing right now, it is learning how to listen to one another, really listening. And I, I guess if we just keep doing that one-on-one -on -one with people um, and teach our children how to do it and be good examples of people that care about each other, you know, one another and put the well-being of another one before you you think of only of yourself, you know, that's, that's just me in a micro cosmic, just my little world. And that's what I can do. Plus plug into places that are doing good works, you know, that are doing this throughout the world and in your community and into the United States and, and are fighting for justice and, and find those places that are, are doing things and, support them financially, support them politically with the way you vote, you know, whatever you can do. Susan, I wanted to ask you that same same question. 
Um, yes, I um, I really agree with everything that Harriet has said. Um, I think um, talking with people um, is sometimes hard if you feel like you're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I tend to, for example, I tend to be tolerant of almost everybody except anti-vaxxers. And I just, you know, I, I think public health is so important and I, I don't know, you know, really how to speak to people um, who, who claim that vaccines cause autism and all that other stuff. Um, and I did read Pot Peter Hotez's book on that because um, uh, he has a daughter who's autistic. Um, and uh, I have, but I have spoken to one or two people, one person in, in particular who was very hesitant about uh, vaccinating a, a child um, for whom she's, responsible really and um she wasn't sure that it was good for kids in elementary school and um of course here i'm thinking about the kids that i know that we were so grateful to have them vaccinated um and waiting for just one more grandchild to get vaccinated um but uh it was it was interesting because all she really needed was some information. And I said, well, you know, my grand grandchildren are, um, have gotten vaccinated in North Carolina. And, um, and she's, well, I don't really, you know, I haven't heard that much about it. So I went and looked up her town um, or the town that her, where this child lives and um, found a, uh, um, a clinic that had, you know, was especially for, for kids after school times and Saturdays. And um, she texted me about a week later and said, thank you. I, um, I did um, um, take this little guy for a vaccination. And I thought, you know, we could have argued because she and I are on, not on, um, on the same end of, of many spectrums. <laughs> um, but um, I thought, you know, I, I need to do that. I don't know. Um, I know of a few adults who have not been vaccinated um, intentionally. Uh, and, um, and I, you know, it, it's hard to, to figure out how to approach people, but I think um, we kind of have to, if we meet somebody um, who definitely has um, an opinion that we think is, is not, um, is not for the public good. We need to discuss it. And I'm not quite sure, you know, I need to take, Harriet's course. <laughs> I think what you just, what you both said was really powerful. And I mean, what you just described, Susan, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a gift of information. It, it, it didn't necessarily have to turn into a, a, a debate uh, about party politics. It can just be a gift of information and people can take it or leave it. And the experts I've talked to about how to, because there's anti-vaxxers, but most people are not that. There may be some skepticism there and there's an opportunity for conversation. And it's to your point, Harriet, also about the sort of deep listening. It's just uncomfortable. I don't know why we've grown uncomfortable with it, or maybe I have, I'm in my own space and I do a lot of talking and listening and I don't know, but I think those are really important skills. People undervalue how important that that is. And if you're like, Okay, I'm going to talk to a person that I don't don't agree with. It's going to be a little stressful. Okay, 
you know, take a deep breath and, and go ahead and do it, right? Yeah, I, I think people, if you really think back in your life, when you have been listened to and just let people talk, and it's usually on a one-on-one basis. It can't be in groups because you're always going to find the person that you you feel closest to and you'll go with them and you'll, you know, you form your little tribe. But when you're one-on-one, to be listening to is a real gift. And, and what you've done, Scott, is, you know, you're doing it by uh, asking us questions and listening to us, too. So... Your whole work is part of this process. Oh, and that's, I appreciate how we, that's how we come together by people like that. you, too. Well, we probably should wrap up. I wanted There's one little thing I wanted to get to. It's actually come up a couple of times, but um, you both read a lot. Uh, in fact, you're the easiest people to buy for at the holiday time because I don't ever have to worry. Like, what are they? What game are they into? What technology are they into? It's like, no, it's a book. It's an old technology and it works. You're good um, at that. So what's um, what's one thing you've read in the pandemic that you think other people should read? Susan? Uh, golly, one? <laughs> um, what, is it? what is a thing you've read in the pandemic, even if it's an old thing you read again, that you think people would be interested in? Um, I read some books from, from COVID calls. Um, Year of the Nurse. I read um, a couple of uh, Kendi books. I mean, I read his big book, Stamped from the Beginning, and How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, and um, and I, I tend to read um, more nonfiction, but I did read the book about uh, Philadelphia, Long Bright River, hmm. um, which, is, which is fiction. And I am reading now um, Eat the Buddha, um, she wrote, Barbara Demick wrote, wrote the book um, about North Korea um, X number of years ago that I read then. Right. Um, Year of the Nurse and, oh, and the poet you had on. Oh, my gosh. Well, Can I know you. Uh, no, Kathleen Ossip. Oh, well, she's I, amazing. I, um, yeah. Oh, you got her book. I, oh, cool. I actually got this one, um, although her, her, I want her, her new one, too. I, I do love Billy Collins. He is he is such a hoot, um, and um, uh, and Kathleen Ossip um, wrote um, a poem which I actually um, uh, cope. She writes pretty short pieces. You know, some of them are are, are longer anyway. But um, this one um, was the you know one of the best things I've heard in a while, and John and I just laughed and laughed over it. Um, it's a it's marriage. I think the title is something like marriage during the pandemic. And it's very short. So here it goes. So much for the fighting and the sex. I want to be alone with you in the next room. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's good. She's, she was a great guest and, and talked a lot about how she dealt with her writing process during the during the pandemic. Um, also love, Susan, that you seem to be surrounded by books presently. That's amazing, I, and I appreciate that. Um, Harriet? Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Scott, I didn't go and read all my books, and I'm kind of one of these people that read all the time, and I kind of get books mixed up and the titles and the authors, and 
So yeah, I did the nurse just recently that you gave us for Christmas, which was excellent. But I have been reading a lot of poetry during the pandemic, which I never used to do, but I think it slowed me down, got me out in nature. Hmm. Uh, Mary Oliver is currently my favorite. Great. And, um, and I read it through the grief process that I had to go through, I I read a lot of Jan Richardson and Mm. she, she really spoke deeply to me about that. So yeah, those things. And I've done a lot of um, audio books on Libby, uh, which has been great. Mm. So um, I'm always having one of those on. I just listened to Ron Howard's book, you know? (laughs) Yeah. How good. It was, it was fun and good because I lived through that, those, you know, times. Yeah, sure. That's that's what I've been doing. Well, I've been a little greedy with your time, and I'm I, I probably better we better wrap up. But um, this has been a great call. I, I, let me just remind everybody that you've been listening to COVID calls, and um, you can usually catch COVID calls live at seven p.m. Eastern time weekdays. Although these days we're kind of going around the clock, and we will literally be going around the clock um, with two full days of COVID calls, which will start. Uh, on Tuesday, and I'll give you full information about that coming soon if you follow at US of Disaster, and we'll be announcing that full lineup of guests, some of whom we've had on COVID calls um, before, including Ed Young and Greg Gonsalves and others who we have not had on before. So please do stay tuned for that. And let me just take a moment here to um, thank Susan Merling and Harriet Knowles. First of all, just like thank you in general, and I love you both. And thanks for this time. This was a great call and I really enjoyed the conversation. We love you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. This was great. Stay healthy, everyone. And we'll see you next time on COVID Calls. Mm-hmm.